Chapter 11 Oh, hi, Lisa, Reva said calmly. What do you want? Lisa, her face crimson, her small hands tightened into fists, ignored Reva and stared only at Mitch. We're kind of busy right now, Reva told Lisa, pushing out her hair, straightening her white sweater. She reached out and wiped some of her lipstick off Mitch's chin. Lisa, standing rigidly in the stockroom doorway, continued to stare at Mitch. Angry tears had formed in the corners of her eyes. Reva? Lisa started, talking now through clenched teeth and shifting her attention to Reva. You can't just play with people! Who's playing? Reva cracked and laughed at her own line. Mitch opened his mouth to say something to Lisa, but then closed it and lowered his eyes to stare at his shoes. Lisa cried out, more in disgust than anger, furious that Mitch hadn't the courage to say anything. Then she turned and fled from the room. What a bore! Now where were we? Reva asked, turning her sexiest, most devilish smile at him. But Mitch had pushed past her and taken off after Lisa. Hey, wait, Lisa, wait. Let her go, Reva called after him. Oh, brother, she thought, rolling her eyes. What is his problem? But she chased after him, into the electronics department with this wall of color TVs, all tuned to Oprah Winfrey. Fifty Oprah Winfrey staring at Reva as she grabbed Mitch by the arm and pulled him back. Let her go, Reva instructed him. I can't, he insisted heatedly, his eyes searching the wide aisle for Lisa. She had disappeared. Don't be a wimp, Reva said. The Oprah Winfrey's grinned at her, speaking silently into a microphone, as if giving a play-by-play of what she and Mitch were doing. Hey, let go of me, Reva, Mitch said angrily. She opened her eyes wide and pouted in a mock display of having her feelings hurt. Come on, Mitch, she urged in her low, sexy voice. Let's go back to the stockroom. We can talk about it there. Mitch, still searching for Lisa, shook his head no. Reva turned away from the smiling Oprah Winfrey's and saw Hank come around the corner from the freight elevators heading toward her. Quickly, she stepped closer to Mitch and draped her arm affectionately around his shoulder. She nuzzled against Mitch, who was momentarily too startled to react. Does this make you jealous, Hank? Reva thought as Hank passed by, staring at her but not saying hello. Does this make you jealous? I hope so. Reva, please, Mitch said edgily, pulling away from her. You know, what we were doing, I mean, back there. He pointed toward the stockroom against the back wall. Well, it wasn't right. I mean, what do you mean? Reva asked softly, patiently. Mitch took a deep breath and started again. Lisa and I have been going together a long time, and I just don't think it was fair to her. Reva reached out and rubbed more lipstick off his face. I like you, Mitch, she said in her most kittenish voice. You like me too, don't you? He blushed and swept his hand back through his straight, dark hair. You seem to like me, back there, Reva said, glancing back to the stockroom. I just think, well, poor Mitch, Reva thought amused. He's totally flustered. Oh, look at the time, Reva cried suddenly, staring at her watch. I promised I'd be back at my post ten minutes ago. Ms. Smith will kill me. She'll probably club me with her shoulder pads. She rubbed his cheek with the back of her hand. See you later. Then, before Mitch had a chance to respond, she turned and ran, heading for the bank of elevators on the other side of the store, leaving him standing still with his mouth agape, just as the fifty Oprahs waved goodbye. The store was crowded with lunchtime shoppers, office workers mostly, crowding around the costume jewelry counters, a few housewives pushing strollers, shopping bags draped over the handles. That went better than I thought, Reva told herself, a pleased smile on her newly lipsticked lips. Having Lisa burst in on us like that was an added treat. I'll never forget the horrified look on Mitch's face, she thought. What a wimp. But at least he'll be my wimp soon. A line of five or six kids, dressed in snowsuits and wool caps, 
made Riva realize she was passing Santa Land at the front of the Dolby Toy Department. Sure enough, there was Rob up in Santa's big red and white candy striped throne, a scared looking toddler on his lap. As Riva passed by, the kid tilted his head back and then exploded a wet sneeze right in Rob's face. Riva laughed out loud. What a riot! Poor Rob will be wiping snot off his face for a week. Riva was still chuckling when she reached the perfume counter and took her place behind the display shelves. Ms. Smith stepped away from the cash register alcove and approached Riva, glancing angrily at her watch. I'm glad you find being late so amusing, she snapped. I wasn't smiling about that, Riva replied coldly. Well, you've made me 15 minutes late for my luncheon engagement, Ms. Smith accused. Terribly sorry, Riva told her, not sounding the least bit sorry. There are customers waiting, Riva's supervisor scolded, then grabbed up her bag and started off. Have a good lunch, Riva told her with exaggerated sweetness. Ms. Smith turned back. There's a package for you, she told Riva. That one there, with the gift wrapping. I don't know who left it. Open it when all the customers have gone. Riva watched Ms. Smith hurry through the crowded aisle. As soon as she was out of sight, Riva picked up the package and carried it to the cash register alcove, turning her back to the counter so that customers couldn't disturb her. How odd, Riva thought, turning the package over in her hands. Is this an early Christmas present for someone? Who would know to leave it here at the perfume counter? It must be some kind of surprise from Daddy, she decided. Miss! Miss! A woman was calling loudly to Riva. She ignored the customer, and, being careful of her fingernails, tore open the package. There was a box inside. Riva eagerly tore the top off the box and pulled out a dark, gracefully shaped bottle. It was some sort of perfume or cologne. Such an unusual bottle, Riva thought, admiring the smooth red glass. Examining it curiously. It's so heavy. It must be very expensive, she figured. She carefully removed the glass stopper and started to raise it to her nose. She stopped when she saw the drops of dark red liquid clinging to the bottom of the stopper. Suddenly suspicious, Riva put the stopper down, then tilted the bottle onto her outstretched finger. It's not cologne, it's blood! Riva uttered a low cry. The bottle slipped from her hand, hit the hard countertop, and shattered. Two customers, women leaning on the other side of the counter, also cried out in alarm as blood from the bottle splashed over the front of Riva's white cashmere sweater. Chapter 12 when Riva was five and attending a private kindergarten in a luxury building in the hills overlooking the Kananoka River, she had a run-in with another little girl that she never forgot. The other little girl, Riva remembered, was a troublesome, willful blonde girl named Sarah. One day Riva and Sarah were painting on easels using large sheets of white paper and wide brushes that they dipped into open cans of paint. An argument developed between Riva and Sarah, a territorial dispute of some kind. Riva couldn't remember which of them started it but it ended with Sarah hoisting up the big can filled with red paint and pouring it over Riva's head. The thick red paint ran down Riva's face, oozed down her sweater and white jeans, and somehow in her mind the paint, as it oozed and soaked into her clothing, became blood. She was only five after all, and had never been the victim of any kind of violent attack. And standing helplessly, in a kind of shock, seeing and feeling the paint roll down her body, cover her skin and her clothes, Riva began to scream and scream. And according to what her mother later told her, it took hours to get her to stop. Long after her clothes had been changed and the paint had been scrubbed away, Riva still begged her mother to wash away the blood. Twelve years later, standing behind the perfume counter, as the blood splashed up onto her sweater, the violent scene in the kindergarten flashed vividly into Riva's mind. But this time, after uttering a silent cry of surprise, of disgust, she didn't scream. 
Other people were screaming. Riva clamped her mouth shut as if trapping in all emotions, shutting away all feeling. She held her arms straight out, away from her sides, not wanting to touch her sweater, not wanting to touch the blood. No, she thought, no screams this time. She clenched her teeth so hard it hurt and silently stared down at the oozing red mess. No screams. I don't feel it, she told herself, concentrating with all her strength. I don't feel anything. I'm okay, she assured the horrified customers clustered at the counter. Please, I'm okay. She was still trying to reassure them, to quiet them, wondering how to get the mess cleaned up, wondering what to do about her ruined sweater, when she saw the small envelope, half covered in blood, on the floor at her feet. She bent over quickly and picked it up, surprised to realize that she was out of breath, gasping for air, her heart pounding in her chest. It was a gift card. It must have fallen out of the package. Riva opened the envelope with trembling, bloody fingers. A small white card tucked inside had a message printed on it in red ink. Happy holidays from a friend. Some friend, Riva thought bitterly. The same friend who hid the needle in my lipstick. Some friend with a very sick sense of humor. Hank. Yeah, probably Hank. This is the kind of dumb juvenile thing that would really appeal to him. His stupid way of paying me back. What a dork, Riva thought, feeling the anger rise up from the pit of her stomach. What a total creep. Does he really think I'll be terrified because he pulls a couple of dumb jokes like this? Does he think I'll go screaming hysterically out of the store and never return? Does he think I'll be frightened out of my wits or something? This just proves I was right about him, Riva decided. This just proves that he doesn't know me very well. In fact, he doesn't know me at all. Because I'm not going to scream and cry. No way. What I'm going to do is go right upstairs and get him fired. You're out of here, Hank, Riva thought, allowing a smile to cross her face. No more idiotically cruel jokes. You're out of here. Ignoring the cries and wary conversations of the alarmed customers, Riva hurried from the booth, jogging quickly down the aisle, past staring, startled onlookers to the employee's elevator. She rode up to the sixth floor and stepped out into the reception area. Hey, Riva, the receptionist behind the wide oak desk called to her, but Riva was already halfway down the hall to her father's office in the corner. She came to an abrupt halt in front of the tall bank of security monitors, surprised to see several blue-uniformed workers there. Somewhat to her relief, Hank wasn't at his post. The tall stool in front of the monitors was empty. He's probably goofing off somewhere, Riva thought. Or maybe cooking up another joke to ruin more of my clothes. But then she saw him, on his back on the floor behind the bank of monitors, attentively attaching several cable wires. The other workers were fitting what appeared to be VCRs into new shelves beside the monitors. Hank looked up as she started to pass. Reva. She glared angrily at him, her blue eyes clear and cold as ice, her teeth clenched. She wanted to accuse him. She wanted to scream at him. She wanted to let him know why she was on her way into her father's office. She wanted to hit him and tear at his blonde, spiky hair and make him hurt, make him hurt bad for embarrassing her, for frightening her, for tricking her. But she didn't want to make a scene in front of all these workers. Instead, she leaned over Hank, who was still on his back hooking up cables, and said in a low voice, I know it was you. He sat up with a start, his dark eyes wide with surprise. Huh? Don't act dumb, she said, forcing herself to keep her voice low and calm. What happened to you? You're a mess, he said innocently, his eyes narrowing with concern. Are you okay? You never were a very good actor, Reva insisted. I know it was you, Hank, and it's going to cost you. Listen, Reva, I'm kind of busy here, Hank said impatiently, ignoring her threat, gesturing to the swarm of workers in the area. We're installing a VCR for each monitor. We'll have everything the security cameras pick up on tape every day. Thrills and chills, Reva said sarcastically, rolling her eyes. 
The blood had soaked through her sweater to her skin. It felt wet and sticky and uncomfortable. She studied his face, trying to decide if he was putting on the innocent act or if he really didn't know what she was talking about. Staring at him, she began to feel less certain. You're saying you didn't leave a package for me at my perfume counter? Reva asked. He shook his head. I've been here since morning. Haven't even had lunch yet. Ask these guys. He gestured to the workers, who were fitting the last of the VCRs onto the shelves. You're lying, she shouted. Several of the workers turned to gape at her, startled by her bloody appearance and loud outbursts. You're lying, she repeated this time in a whisper. I heard you the first time, Hank said dryly. Look at my sweater, she cried, feeling her anger rise again, feeling herself slipping out of control, despite all of her attempts to hold herself together. Is that blood, he asked, sliding out from under the console, or is it paint? You know what it is, she cried, and, unwilling to let him see her out of control, fled, past the other executive offices, past the wide balcony that looked over to five floors below, without stopping to see how bad the stain was, without stopping to try to wash it off. She ran to the end of the hall and her father's office. You're out of here, Hank. I don't care if you play dumb or not. You're out of here. One word to my dad and you're out of here. And happy holidays to you, too. She caught a glimpse of herself in a mirror on the wall outside her father's office and gasped, seeing all the blood smeared on her sweater for the first time. How could he do this to me, she wondered. Mr. Dalby's office door was closed. Reva raised her hand to knock just as Josie, her father's secretary, came out. Is my dad in there? Reva asked breathlessly. Yes, but he's in a very important meeting, Josie told her. I'm not allowed to interrupt him for anything. Oh, Reva sighed. She could feel her energy beginning to drain. Her conversation with her father would have to wait. She knew better than to interrupt him while he was in an important meeting. Guess I'll go home and change, she said. Josie stared back at her, her eyes on the huge, dark stain. You might be able to bleach that out. Is it paint? No, it's blood and it's ruined, Reva muttered. She headed back to the elevator, walking slowly, dispiritedly now. She had just passed the balcony when a terrifying sound, a deafening, pop, 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 shattered the air. Oh, Reva cried out in frozen fear. She knew that sound from TV, the sound of machine guns. Chapter 13 Reva heard screams from the floors below. Fearing more gunfire, she dropped to her knees beside the low balcony wall. Everything seemed to stop, all sound, all movement. Even her breathing seemed to stop as she waited, too terrified to look over the balcony railing. She was still on her knees, still holding her breath, when the door to her father's office burst open. Mr. Dalby bounded through the door in his shirt sleeves, his face red, his eyes wide with fear. What was that noise? he called out. Was that gunfire? Reva quickly climbed to her feet. Daddy! She didn't get out another word. Mr. Dalby had fixed his eyes on Reva's blood-splattered sweater. He gaped in horror. Reva, you're shot, he managed to cry. Then his eyes rolled up in his head, and he uttered a low moan and slumped to the floor. Daddy! Reva repeated, overcoming her fear and rushing toward him. Josie got to him first, dropped to her knees, lifted his wrist to find a pulse. Help! Somebody! she cried. Get help! Reva dropped down on the other side of her father, her heart pounding. She felt helpless and frantic. Silence footsteps hurried across the carpet. People were running out of the offices, making hushed phone calls, huddling over her father. Daddy! Reva grabbed his hand. Is he okay? Is he breathing? she asked Josie. Mr. Dalby stirred. He opened his eyes and fixed them on Reva, his expression dazed, confused. Daddy! she squeezed his hand. Are you okay? he asked. Were you shot? No, I'm fine, Reva said, squeezing his hand. 
I'm okay, really, I'm okay. Mr. Dalby sat up and rubbed the back of his head. Ouch, did I faint or something? Josie nodded her head. It was the blood, Reva's father said. First I heard the gunfire, then I saw Reva. I, uh, I spilled something, Reva explained, deciding not to tell the truth, deciding that her father had had enough of an upset for one day. He stood up shakily, holding on to Reva's shoulder for support. His face, which had gone as white as cake flour when he fainted, began to get its color back. He ran a hand back through his graying hair. Suddenly, a blue-uniformed store worker pushed his way through the crowd of onlookers. Mr. Dalby, that sound you heard! Yes, Mr. Dalby, his strength seemingly restored, released Reva's shoulder and stepped eagerly toward the man. It was the Christmas tree lights, the man reported nervously. What? A power surge, sir. A string of lights shorted out, the worker explained. I guess it started a chain reaction. The lights started to pop, dozens of them all at once. Then the whole thing just shorted out. Mr. Dalby, obviously somewhat relieved, took a deep breath, then blew the air silently out through his mouth. These electrical problems are driving me nuts, he said, shaking his head. Is this power surge connected to the other problems we've been having? Probably, sir, the worker replied, shifting his weight uncomfortably. We're not sure. Any idea what caused the power surge? We're checking, came the reply. Let's all get back to work, Mr. Dalby told the crowd of onlookers. I'm okay. Everything seems to be okay. He told the worker to get the tree lights back on as soon as possible, then started back to his office, rubbing the back of his head. Reva followed him to the door. You sure you're okay? she asked. You gave me a real scare, he said suddenly, looking very old. What on earth did you spill on your sweater? She was tempted to tell him, but held herself back. I'll tell you later, she said. You came up to see me? he asked, glancing at his watch. I, I just wanted to tell you I was going home to change, Reva replied. Why don't you just pick out a new sweater here in the store, he suggested. She laughed. Shop in this tacky store, she said with exaggerated horror. Please, Daddy, give me credit for better taste than that. He chuckled, kissed her on the forehead, and headed back into his office to resume his meeting. Always leave him laughing, Reva told herself as she waved goodbye to Josie. It was back on the phone, and headed past the low balcony, past the bank of security monitors, without even looking to see if Hank was still there, to the employee's elevator. She was eager to get her coat and go on home. The afternoon sun was high in a cloudless sky. The air was brisk, but not uncomfortably cold. Reva started up the Volvo, then sat listening to the steady hum of the engine for a short while, before pulling out of the employee parking lot. What a day, she said out loud. She snapped on the radio, listened to a few seconds of a loud commercial, then snapped it off again. The silence felt good. She turned the corner, shielding her eyes from the sudden burst of sunlight that spread over the windshield. She thought about Mitch, about kissing Mitch, about kissing him long and hard. She pictured Lisa bursting in again, catching them, the expression on poor Lisa's face. Everything was worth it just for that one look of horror, that one look of defeat. Too bad Mitch was such a wimp. But, Reva thought, I can amuse myself with him for the time being. Her thoughts had turned to Hank into the cologne bottle filled with blood when she noticed the car behind her. It was a white Taurus. Had it been right behind her the whole way home? Staring at it in the rearview mirror, Reva felt a sudden stab of fear. She made a quick right turn onto a narrow street she'd never been on before. Small, close-together clapboard houses lined both sides of it. That white Taurus, she thought, it didn't turn too, did it? One glance in the mirror told her that it had. I'm being followed, she realized. This isn't possible. This doesn't happen in real life, does it? This only happens on TV shows. Her heart pounding, she sped up, then made a quick left turn without signaling. Reluctantly, she checked the mirror, hoping that the car wouldn't be there, but it was still there and close behind. 
Go away! Please go away! Riva roared through a stop sign, studying the mirror, trying to see the driver, but the bright sunlight formed a curtain over the Taurus's windshield. She made a right and found herself back on the crowded main road. The Taurus, she saw, was staying close behind. This isn't happening. It isn't. Who can it be? She caught a glimpse of a man's face, a dark mustache, a cap pulled down over his eyes. What does he want? She immediately thought of kidnapping. Sometimes, she knew, the children of very wealthy people were kidnapped and held for huge ransoms. He'd drag me to some abandoned house and tie me up, and if my dad won't pay, he'll kill me and leave me there. No! She floored the gas pedal and made a decision. She'd be safer at home. She'd pull right up to the drive, into the garage, and run into the house through the garage entrance. That was her best chance. Struggling to calm her breathing, struggling to hold back her terrified thoughts, Reva made another sharp turn and headed for home. The white Taurus squealed around the corner and followed, only a car length behind. What do you want? What do you want? Reva screamed over the roar of the car engine. She swerved around the school bus. A horn honked loudly. The Taurus kept the pace. Did this guy send the bottle of blood? The thought flashed into her mind, sending fresh fear down her spine. Is it possible that it wasn't Hank? That whoever's following me sent the blood and put the needle on my lipstick? But why? As a warning? As a warning that even worse things were in store? She sighed out loud as she turned into her driveway. A few more seconds and she'd be back in the house in the safety of the garage. A few more seconds and she'd be inside the kitchen. She could call the police and... The Taurus pulled into the drive right behind her. I don't believe this! Reva hit the brakes hard. She'd forgotten her garage door opener and the garage door was closed. The Volvo slid to a halt. The Taurus squealed over the asphalt drive, stopping inches behind her. I'm trapped now, Reva thought. I can't get into the garage, but I can't just sit here in the car. Her only hope, she decided, was to make a run for the house. If she could get to it and get inside. She grabbed her house key, flung open the car door, and breathing heavily, leapt out of the car and started running around it toward the house. Her legs felt heavy, as if they were weighted down. Her chest felt ready to explode. Glancing to the drive, she saw that the man in the cap was getting out of his car. He was big and tough-looking and was running after her. Chapter 14 Hey! he called, stumbling after her. Reva was almost to the door. Hey! the man was waving wildly to her. She pulled open the glass storm door, jammed her key in the lock, and pushed hard. It didn't budge. Wrong key. Hey! He was only a few yards behind now. Reva spun around to face him, her mouth open, about to scream, her features stretched wide. Breathing hard, her pursuer stopped at the bottom of the stoop. Your taillight! It's broken, he said between gulps of air. What? Reva remained frozen in place, her back pressed against the glass storm door. Your taillight! I accidentally bumped into it back in Dalby's parking lot, the man said, struggling to regain his breath. Reva stared at him, not understanding, still waiting for him to make his move, to spring his plan of terror on her. I accidentally smashed into your taillight. I'm really sorry, the man said, taking off his cap and wiping perspiration off his broad forehead. Come here, I'll show you. He started back toward her car. My taillight? Reva cried, not recognizing even her own terror-filled voice. You followed me home all the way here because of my taillight? Still, feeling shaky and uncertain, she followed him back to the driveway. Sure enough, her left taillight was exposed. The plastic over the bulb knocked off and gone. I hate it when people bump your car, then they just drive off, the man explained, replacing his cap. So I followed you. I was trying to signal you. Didn't you see me? Uh, no, Reva replied, feeling very foolish. Here. The man shoved a small white card into her hand. That's my insurance agent. 
Let me write my name and number on the other side. The insurance company will take care of everything. I'm really sorry about it. Just careless, I guess. Reva's hand was still trembling as she took the card from the man. She felt weak, totally trained. How could I have let myself get so scared of her nothing, she asked herself. She thanked the man for being so thoughtful. What a waste of time, she thought. Daddy'll just have the car fixed at his garage. Why bother involving an insurance company over a stupid taillight? Thanks again, she called as the man climbed into his car and backed down the long drive. I'm losing it. I'm really losing it, Reva thought, slowly making her way up to the house. This man was being a good citizen, and I acted like a paranoid nutcase. Oh well, she told herself, unlocking the kitchen door and calling out hello. Her call hung unanswered in the silent house, and she knew Yvonne and Michael must be out. I do have a reason to be paranoid, though. She tossed her coat down and pulled off the blood-soaked sweater. Whoever's trying to scare me is doing a really good job, Reva decided. First my cut lip, then the hideous bottle of blood. She opened the cabinet under the sink and shoved the sweater into the wastebasket. What's next? she wondered with a cold shudder. What's next?